Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation is with Lauren Draper. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel, and every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands. These are unceded lands. Treaty has never been made in, in Australia. Lauren Draper is a writer and marketing professional from Melbourne. Her writing has appeared in publications such as Kill Your Darlings and Dumbo Feather. Today, Lauren is joining me with her debut young adult novel, The Museum of Broken Things. Reese is in limbo, and as far as it goes, there are worse places to be stuck than the beachside town of Hamilton. But it's not just the place Reese is stuck, it's her memories, memories of the terrible thing that happened and the way it has basically put her life on hold. Maybe she can ride out in the last year of school, but fate and a resident shark named Bruce are determined to throw her in the way of Gideon. And there's a whole other set of secrets. There is so much to discover here. So many secrets. Join me. Join me and Lauren as we discover her debut YA novel, The Museum of Broken Things. Hi, how are you? Hello, Lauren. I'm well. How are you? Good. Um, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to chat to you today. I And I'm really looking forward to this. I want to I want to set the stage and I want to, I want to get your impressions here. So the Museum of Broken Things, Reese, Reese is in limbo. And as far as it goes, there are worse places to be stuck than the beachside town of Hamilton. But it's not just the place. Reese is stuck in her memories, memories of the terrible thing that happened and the way it has basically put her life on hold. Maybe she can ride out the last year of school, but fate and a resident shark named Bruce are determined to throw her in the way of Gideon. And there's a whole other set of secrets. All right. So tell me, Lauren, I got this is I, I, I pulled that out of my own reading. That is not from the blurb. I feel like I may have just misrepresented the Museum of Broken Things a bit, though. How do you introduce your book? I think it's really interesting to hear each person's take on what the book is, because I think it can be numerous things at once. It can be a coming of age novel. It can be a romance story. It can be a book about grief and finding yourself. And it can even be a book about what happens after year 12. So from my perspective, it's about a girl who moves to a small beachside town, going through something, processing a pretty big thing in her life in relative secret um, inherits a mysterious artifact from her grandmother, does meet the very cute next door neighbor. Um, and it's really a story about what happens in the year of figuring out who she is now and deviating from the version of herself that she always sort of had preconceived in her mind and letting the past go. Um, and just finding a way to move forward in an imperfect world, as I would suggest we all are after the past two years. And I love how you very politely kind of corrected me that it, it is not at all for David Attenborough, Deep Blue Sea fans. Um, <laughs> the shark named Bruce, I definitely overplayed that. But um, it was a really interesting part of the the early section of the story and how, how you do throw Reese and Gideon together. And there is so much that unfurls in the Museum of Broken Things. I wanted to... I wanted to kind of tease without giving too much away. 
And so right now, I want to I wanna note, in the Museum of Broken Things, you play with an ensemble cast, and they're focused around your central character, Reese. And they are all, by and large, look, they're just lovely. Did you, did you want to create literary role models? And just a sidebar, did you have any literary role models yourself when you were a YA? <laughs> Um, I don't think I set out to create literary moral models. I don't think I had such lofty aspirations when I was writing this. Um, but I did want to create a cast of friends that felt very authentic to what it is like going through high school, where you form these intensely tight um, relationships and everybody's a little bit quirky and a little bit different. Um, but there's this sense of found family and really finding your people in the world. And I just really wanted to play with fun dialogue and quippy characters and bring something really fresh that I hoped that teenagers would find engaging. And a large part of that is also because I find character driven novels so interesting. And it's, it's really funny now to hear everyone go, Oh, there's so much happening in the plot. There's so much happening in this book. And I think I just wanted to write about a good group of friends. Um, but literary icons, I have to say Kath Crowley, Melina Marchetta, when I were growing up, um, those sort of beautiful books about sort of a, a little bit about high school, but mostly about growing up and finding yourself were really people that I admired, especially in Australia where we just had such gorgeous fiction coming from them. I liked, I liked what you said that the way people reflect there's so much going on. I, I actually found, um, I'm just riffing here, but a thought that I had as I was reading that, yeah, there, there is a lot going on and the, the characters do kind of bounce, but you do it in this way that is really authentic to being young because of course you're not yet consumed by a job that might be you know demanding 40 to you know 60 hours of your week and you are interested in so many different things so it's it's not like a single thread is going to play out like a single day might include just a myriad of events and I feel like you you really kind of you, you stuck the landing there with all of this incredible stuff going on for all of their lives, but but also, you know, making it seem really like very real to that experience. And I think part of that is also because when you're go- when you're a teenager, you're very resilient and you just sort of accept the world as it adapts around you, I think, in a particular way. But one constant that I personally think, or at least I was very privileged to always have, is no matter how crazy your life was, you were always going to call your best friend at the end of the day. Like you make time to cycle to their house. You make the time to debrief. And I loved working with that element of her friendship group and sort of building a community around her that sort of reflected the one that I knew growing up. And it didn't matter what anybody went through. It was We were, you know, at the end of the day, everyone was just there. And that's a very beautiful and very normal thing to have, um, I think, when you're that age. Mm. So I'm really interested in the title and particularly around this idea of being broken because, I mean, there's a ridiculous amount of pressure on young adults these days. I mean, look, there, there always has been. I feel like I went under, was under a ridiculous amount of pressure when I was a young adult. I'm sure you felt the same way. But, like, I mean, really, lately it's just like pressure on steroids, particularly coming out of the last couple of years. So Reese is haunted by the terrible thing that happened. And I'm... I'm you don't specifically kind of go, hey, this is a post-COVID or a pre-COVID novel, but the pressure is enormous. It's really messing with her life. Do you think, like, as a society, we have a handle on what teens actually go through and, and how to support them? I, I Honestly, I think the brief answer is no. And then the longer answer feeds into why I wanted to write Young Adult, which is that I, I think teens go through every emotion 
emotion and really experience that we do as adults, but I don't know whether or not we consider their emotions to be valid. Mm. And when you're growing up, so much of that is, you know, the stress of exams, for example, or your first heartbreak and adults sort of turn around and say like, oh, I remember that, you know, it doesn't matter. Nobody, nobody cares about your interscore for the rest of your life. You know, you'll, you'll laugh about this one day. But at the time, it's a very real experience. And why is that experience not as worthy as a, you know, inverted commas, proper grown up? And I think that that, that pressure, this is a pre-COVID novel, but I cannot imagine, I cannot begin to imagine what young people have gone through in the last two years and for adults to perhaps have sort of brushed off their experience to say like, oh, you've got it easier. Like all you have to do is, you know, do uni, do school from home. Um, and I, I just hope that teenagers in literacy and in film and whatever creative outlet they find can just connect with people and and know that their feelings are validated and what they're going through is true and see their lived experience represented um, on the page or on the film, whatever it be. Yeah, it's really a really interesting point you make there. You know, I'm I'm sort of thinking about in primary school. You know, kids have to get their pen license before they can can write with a pen, and it's almost like we we say as a teenager, you have to get your emotions license before we will take you seriously. And there's there's a big long discussion around resilience, and I don't want to disparage some of the really good work that is that is going on in that space and the good work that that people do in that space, but. When you look at some adults, it almost seems like the model for resilience is not actually being tough, but just blocking everything out. Like, can you put everything behind a wall? And teenagers get, um, yeah, they get derided for wearing their emotions on their sleeve, for not yet having learnt to just push it all down. And I really, I do like, as, as, tough, an, as tough a journey as Reese goes through, I do like that we get to see her working with her emotions and, and working out how to work with her emotions with other people. I think it's interesting you bring that up in, in that sort of phrasing, because I would argue that what Reese is going through at the be- beginning of the novel is the adult experience of just trying to mm. not deal with her emotions and push it down. And then as she sort of feels like she can start to process what's happened in her mm. own way, that's when you get, you know, the very real experience of a little bit of a meltdown, but then also a little bit of catharsis. And I mm. think that, adults could perhaps learn from their kids sometimes that, you know, just keeping calm and soldiering on is a terrible idea. And I, you know, I reiterate again that after the last two years, I think we all need to be really honest with each other about what we've gone through and where we're at, because just pushing it all down isn't working anymore. And I think there was a period of time where that was the status quo. And honestly, I think teenagers really are paving the way. Um, and just just to talk about what you're going through is is really important um, and crucial. Yeah, I think you pointed out there the kind of the beauty and the trap of reading because, of course, yeah, I'm I was talking about things that are very much point of view for Reese. So whilst I know them, you know them. Anyone who reads the Museum of Broken Things know them. We we could also appreciate that Reese isn't sharing this with anyone. The page gives us that kind of privileged insight. I mean, it is. It's one of the incredible things I, d- I don't know about you. I'm going to presume, though, one of the reasons you read is because it gives you this insight. It opens up other worlds and other lives to you. Um, and you, you're, you're right. Yeah, it's not until Reese starts to allow her new group of friends in that this this really starts to happen. And it's, yeah, it's an incredible model. Like, I would love to, would love to see more people doing that. Like, you know, letting their POV out into the world. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Letting your friends air your grievances and pick you pick up the pieces when you're done. Amazing. Yes, indeed. Um, 
So Reese, Gideon, Miles, and Ava. We haven't. We've we've talked a lot about Reese. So Gideon is um, the absolutely crushable. We, you called him the boy next door, which we we won't we won't unpack that. But it, it probably needs unpacking for people who choose to read. There's Miles and Ava who are um, their, their mum runs the local cafe and they become Reese's friends. They've, you've got this group and they all have talent. They're each also. I don't know whether to use the word consumed, but that's what I've written here. So I'm going to use it. They're each consumed by a dream. How do you feel about the, this idea of finding your, your thing so early in life? Like I can see benefits and drawbacks. Oh, I think it's terrible just to put that out there. You know, I thought that I should be a journalist when I was in high school because everyone told me that I wrote really well and I didn't know what else to do. And I think that's such a universal experience of you have to pick something And sometimes you pick the thing that you're good at. And I think what you see through the lens of these characters is that for some of these characters, if it's a true passion, it's kind of working out for them. And for some of them, they're coming to grips with the realization that the thing they've poured their soul into for years is actually not something that they are interested in pursuing. And that's, I don't know how else to explain that realization, but grief Um, and giving up on the dream. And honestly, I think sometimes giving up on the dream is harder than realizing it. Like walking away from something you want so passionately, especially as a teenager where there's sort of this almighty sense about what the end of year 12 is and what you do next. I think that that's a brave thing to do. Um, And what I wanted to do with four characters on very different journeys is kind of be like, okay, here's ABCD and here is what happens when the plan goes perfectly to when the plan all goes terribly um, and you're left starting right at the beginning again. Mm. I guess another really big problem, I mean, not to give any too much away, um, Reese had a dream of being a doctor. Gideon uh, is a champion swimmer. Miles and Ava are both incredibly talented musicians. And we can see there in the, in the arts, in sports, and in sort of very high powerful, high influence careers, the privilege that goes along with dreams. Like you there are, there are a whole set, I'm not going to call any out because I, I think it would probably be too targeting, but there are a whole set of professions that people do, they do amazingly. Society would fall apart without, but I think we would probably agree they're not dreamable professions. You know, we're not seeing lots of little kids get saying, I am dreaming to be something other than the, that sort of top three. And so we, we create this this kind of two-tier where there are things that somehow you, you settle for, like somehow your life is less for not having dreamed about it when you were young. And yeah, realistically, I, I think that that's got to be a huge problem in our society. I think as well, there's there's an age where you're young and parents and teachers are saying, you can be anything you want to be. You can, you know, reach the stars. You can be a doctor. You can be an astronaut. You can be whatever you want. And then there's an element of inaccessibility and classism that actually really does start to seep in when you're even as early as thinking about what university you want to go to. Is it far away from your house? Is it is the tuition so astronomical you'll be paying it back forever? And in Australia, we're very lucky to have hex fees, but even that's a consideration for kids. And, you know, do you have to do unpaid internship hours? And I think that's also something I wanted to delve into in this book because it's devastating to be in that stage of your life where you're supposed to have the world at your feet. And then to realise that because your family is in rural country towns or because your family doesn't earn enough, your dream is suddenly out of reach or harder to get to, or the climb is so much steeper and it feels, I think, very unjust. And, mm. and going through that process is, is so difficult when you're also trying to pick the thing you want to do forever. Like, is that not hard enough? And then coupling it with somebody saying, actually, 
that's not an accessible avenue to you anymore. Mm. And even, even I guess, acknowledging the privilege of the conversation that you and I are having, like, you know, people, you know, every dream isn't reachable through university and people don't necessarily have that. I mean, yeah, I just, I, again, I don't want to call out any single profession like I'm somehow saying this one is less worthy, but let's lift it up just for this conversation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you you have this incredibly full cast of characters, you know, right through the parents. And I'm like, everyone there is doing something really kind of cool. And, um, you know, it's, well, let's, let's, let's continue on this idea of a character-driven novel. Or more appropriately, this is where we're going to take a left turn, because you have a character-driven novel, you're going to want to talk about the characters. But of course, stuff happens. We've alluded to that. I want to bring Reese's nan in here. Reese is, is mourning the loss of her nan, an impressive woman whose medical career Reese once dreamed of emulating. So I want to start with that idea to talk about loss in the book. Tell me, tell me about loss and what you wanted to explore. I wanted this book to delve into the experience of grief as a young person. And this sort of came about in a way in which I had very recently lost someone and hadn't read anything for months and months and months. And then I picked up a John Green novel and I had somehow in 10 years not realized what happened in that book. Somebody died horrifically and I was sobbing and, you know, the wraps up in 10 pages at the end. And I was like, that was really beautiful to read. It was also completely not true. You do not process this massive thing in your life in a few weeks and then go on. And grief, especially at that age, is something that I think is is a bit of a, you know, to use an old sort of comp- comparison, is a bit of a tide. It comes in, it goes out. You're laughing one minute, you're devastated the next. You realise that your life, that the world hasn't stopped because you've gone through this monumental thing, often for the first time at that age, um, and I wanted this novel to show that the, the process of grieving someone doesn't necessarily just mean that they're gone forever. Their memory lives on, their physical objects remain. That's a really big part of the, the book. Um, but also it's okay to process it in a way that's not consistent. I hope that makes sense. It's a yeah. big concept to unpack. <laughs> no, no, no. And I mean, look, grief is, because grief, grief is something that we avoid. You know, grief confronts us, but... I mean, we don't go seeking out grief when we're not in the middle of it. So it is by its nature, this thing that we need other avenues, we need spaces to explore. And I I really liked what you said there about, and it it really struck me that we do kind of begin the novel in the middle of the action. We begin where a whole lot of stuff has happened to Reese, and we are going through the after with her. Before, Yeah. yeah, sorry. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think something that somebody said recently to me as well was that when you lose somebody for the first time, it's really bizarre to realise that the world doesn't stop, that your life is altered in this really completely bizarre and new way. And it's really strange to sit there and think, oh, the action, like I still have to go to work. I still have to go to school. I still have to submit assignments. And that was that was part of starting the book in the middle, in the middle of things, like at a funeral, because, you know, the next page, like life, goes on. So Reese's Nan is also this incredible role model to Reese. You show us, well, I think it's, it's really complicated because of course, at the point we meet Reese, she is questioning that dream. But if we just, I just want to run with this idea of her Nan having been this incredible role model that Reese is now in such turmoil questioning this. But you show us that it is so important for young women to have other women that they can look up to. Was that something you wanted to highlight? 
It is. I have a very matriarchal family and I didn't realize for a long time that that was a very privileged thing to experience as a young woman, as a young person growing up um, and being supported by so many women in my life that I, you know, did have my grandparents around, my grandmothers around to help raise me. And I wanted just to highlight how beautiful that multi-generational living can be um, and how special it can be to have somebody like that in your life. Mm. And I just, yeah, I just want to continue on this theme because you just got, kind of got me thinking there. Um, we were talking before about dreams and, you know, like there are kind of top tier dreams that you're allowed to be like, this is what I'm dreaming of being. And then there are the other professions that most of us just do day to day. Um, and in, in my in my family, like my mum is, is a nurse, was a nurse. Do you ever stop? I'm not sure. But um, like... As a young man, not everyone's sort of saying, hey, do you dream of being a nurse? You're supposed to, you're supposed to say doctor, right? Like that's that's a thing. But I look at my family and hi, mum and dad, if you are listening, I know they, they quite often listen, but I, and I don't think this is a secret. But like I've, the, the path I've taken is much more sort of looking at my mum as an influence. And I think it's, yeah, it is really important to, to have that space and to, to open up that space, Um for, for dreams and influences to come from wherever they happen to arrive. And I think that's true, even if it's not in a professional sense. And mm. we touched on this a little bit earlier, that there are ways to live your life where mm. your professional, whatever your dream is, isn't necessarily work driven. There are things mm. in your life that you can aim for that have nothing to do with that. And, and having that very gentle, um, complex, matriarchal experience growing up, I think really shapes you as a person mm. in quite a unique way. I think we're, yeah, we're, we're definitely like we're skirting around the edges of the much larger debate and conversation about gender work divides. And particularly if I like, if I look at, um, you know, when I was growing up and even to an extent, the world we live in now, it blurs so much more for women, the way work and life are expected to kind of intertwine. Whereas, you know, again, if we take a stereotype of a man, you know, consumed by his career and then kind of neglecting other things with I'm definitely talking in stereotypes here but I I am also very attracted to the idea that professional and personal can blend and that you can take elements of yourself I mean like Reese's gran she was a caring woman the fact that she was a doctor um the two complemented each other but I got the impression I got the impression that she was just a wonderful, caring woman. And the fact that her professional life kind of tallied into that also, you know, it helped. It's been great to hear people talk so much about Reese's Nan because she's not physically present for the entire novel. She's gone, she's gone from page one. Um, But it is really interesting to hear people's reaction to her. And it's almost about legacy um, and what, what, how you can live such a big life that you linger when you're gone. And I think that that's been wonderful to chat to people about um, because I wanted her nan to be this sort of larger than life sense. And I didn't know how to do that when she wasn't going to be there to interact with the characters. So I'm really pleased that it's kind of achieved that because it was such a significant portion of the novel and it really drives Reese and her motivation and all of the plot points sort of center around Gran um, but she is gone. And that's, that was a really interesting thing to play with on the page. Yeah. And look at that. Like I, I started this conversation about Reese's Gran by saying, isn't that the thing with character driven novels? You talk about the character, not about the plot. And then I'm just like, Hey, now let's just talk about a different <laughs> character. So, okay. 
we've we've established Reese's Gran was a much respected doctor and member of the community, and a big part of the story kicks off very early at the reading of the will, where Reese's Gran leaves Reese. Uh, okay, a mysterious okay, artifact. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. I was I'm I was just going to pause because we yeah we're skirting around the mystery of the. I actually wrote a pause in that question. That wasn't a real pause. Um, let me ask you, this is this is where we're in the mystery space, the mysterious artefact. What do you feel comfortable telling future readers about the mystery of the Museum of Broken Things? I feel quite comfortable talking about it because I think it happens relatively quickly, but the truth of what it is is the real mystery. So I don't want to allude too much to it. I will say that it is book-based um, and it's something that she doesn't really know what to do with, something that really changes the way she thinks about who her grandmother might have been. Um, and it really drives the plot forward as she's trying to uncover what this artifact is, where it came from, um, and what it right, might really mean for her future as well. Mm. And that's and that's the really exciting part because it is one thing to have incredible characters, but they do need to be doing something. And you do really drip out the mystery, and at times because you know it's it's not like you know we're not talking about the Scooby Gang here. It's it's not like Reese can devote every moment with her friends to be to be finding this out and so it's always there it's always teasing us and i'm teasing the listener here but we're not going to say any more about it so okay okay lauren it's it's been amazing talking about the museum of broken things and before i let you go i have one last question i teased this off air before we started but i'm just going to throw you a curveball I wanted to ask you about, and this is always the great bit with radio, Just, I wanted to ask you about the cover of the Museum of Broken Things. And actually, more specifically, I want to ask about a video I found on your Insta of an uh-huh. Andrew Garfield-inspired upcycle chair version of your cover. Like, that was so cool. Thank you so much. Um, I believe you're referring to an Instagram video I made where we recreated the cover using a garbage chair that I found on the sidewalk, um, my sister, and then a very convenient photo of Andrew Garfield wearing the same sweater that Gideon's wearing on the cover. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was just silly. I just really wanted to save that chair. Um, but people really, really enjoyed it. And the cover artist even messaged me to say it was like so great to see her work interpreted with rubbish. So, do you still have the chair? I do. Um, my partner sits on it with my dog and they have a daily cup of coffee. So the chair lives a good life. <laughs> I mean, look, I am a huge fan of like hard rubbish recycling. I am sitting at a gorgeous chair, a desk that was found on the side of the road. I was told no just last night to picking up a, a bookshelf from the side of the road because... Apparently seven is too many bookshelves. So I just, I loved, I fell in love. We People are just like, okay, guys, do I need to Google this? Are you going to talk about it? Your cover has um, an incredible sort of uh, scene. There's books all over the ground. We have Reese upside down on a chair in that sort of comfortably uncomfortable way that you get on chairs. And then I'm assuming it's Gideon doing they're, they're kind of doing a will they won't they look at each other and um i mean it's just great it's it's just great andrew garfield's going through a renaissance at the moment so i don't know is it because of your video let's say yes who's going to contradict us it's a very small radio show that i have here i mean australian authors setting the tone for the entire internet's appetite for 2000 actors having a resurgence i like to believe that that is true 
maybe you're responsible for the incredibleness that was Spider-Man No Way Home. It's 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 possible. <laughs> maybe I will get sued by Sony after this interview. We will find out. <laughs> It's a lot of Sony execs tune in to um, small Australian radio book past book book podcasts. I thought that they might. Yeah. Look, the cover is an absolute draw, but the book inside even more so. I am speaking with Lauren Draper. We are discussing her debut young adult novel. It is called The Museum of Broken Things. Lauren, what a fun chat. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been such a pleasure. So that question wasn't too much of a curveball then? No, it wasn't. It was a lot of fun to talk about the antics that I get up to um, when not writing. <laughs> that was really great. Look, I, I can only assume that you had seen that on the side of the road but and, and thought maybe I could do something with it. But had you conceived of the whole, oh, we're going to make a video of recreating this from the moment you saw that? Um, No, it was eight o'clock in the morning and I saw the chair and I thought that's a good chair. I have a lot of chairs. How do I save the chair? Um, And I thought like, oh, it's funny that it does look a lot like the cover. And it's funny that if I put my sister on it, she would look a little bit like Reese. And at that point it was just, let's just drag it home. The truck is coming. There's no time to make an informed decision. Just grab it and hope it doesn't have bed bugs. So you had, okay. So is the video of you grabbing it, is that when it really happened? Or did you have to then go back and stage that? Oh no, I, um, we grabbed it. We grabbed it on the spot because the truck was literally coming around the corner and I was looking at it and I was like, do I want to save this chair? Um, and I was like, you know what, I'll just take it. Um, and if not, it'll sit in my garage for a year until the next hard rubbish collection. Um, we were a lot closer to home when we started filming because there was some chaos involved at the start. We had my dog on one arm, we had my partner carrying it. Um, but we did get it there. We got it there in one piece. Incredible. And it is just, um, we've kind of officially finished the, uh, the, the interview, but sometimes outtakes like this sometimes make it to the podcast. Dear listener, we, you need to go check out, are you, are you just at Lauren Draper on Insta? Uh, Lauren Draper writes on Instagram. Do, do go check out the Museum of Broken Things if you are still listening in the podcast outtakes and check out Lauren Draper writes for this incredible video. I cannot, I cannot say enough. This is now the hard rubbish, um, film podcast and, it's just, it's so, so cool. Like, are you, are, are you a TikToker? Like this has like, you know, high production TikTok value to the, to the video. No, but I think that you can tell I'm a marketing manager because <laughs> there's definitely an element of understanding that when you write a book for young adult, you do have to go where the young adults are. But I think I was also very conscious of not wanting to do anything on TikTok or Instagram for the sake of it, because I think, Mm. you know, when you're being marketed to and TikTok Mm. has this actually really lovely authenticity to it that I think it doesn't get enough credit for. Um, So we just wanted to do something silly and something really fun. And, you know, my sister was over and we had just such a nice time doing it. So it is a bit of a plug, but it was also just genuinely a lot of fun to make. It was cool. And that was why I wanted to sort of call it out. I better let you go. You've got a big day. And (laughs) thanks so much, (laughs) Lauren. All right. right. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. That's it for this great conversation with Lauren Draper. Lauren's new book, it is her debut YA novel, young adult novel. It is called The Museum of Broken Things. It is out now from Text Publishing. 
Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. You can find uh, Final Draft on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook where we can be a little inconsistent, but uh, I am trying to get better at posting and sharing all the incredible book goings on that happen across Australia. Such a, such a talented bunch of writers. If you want to hear more from the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast, you can subscribe in your podcast app. It means there will be a great conversation with an Australian writer discussing their new work. You will get a little book club feature introduced, giving you like a pocket-sized introduction to some new books and also any other bonuses that come our way. Subscribe in your podcast app. That's at least once a week. New book love. My name is Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with more great conversations from talented Australian authors here on Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. Bye now.